having you back. And it's good to be back this Sunday because we have coffee. Woo! Coffee is back. People are just just so excited about that. But really, even got a hallelujah out of that. That's amazing. But uh, really, it's about being together. It's singing together. It's uh, connecting together. And uh, we love the fact that we can offer um, online, and we can offer that on demand, and some of you may be doing that even right now, but we also love just getting together and mixing it up and saying hello and connecting with each other. Uh, You know, when we think about uh, what it means to gather in person, uh, mindful of what the writer of Hebrews said, I think he's got some powerful things about this. He says, we should think about each other. We should think about each other to see how we can encourage each other to show love and to do good works. We must not quit meeting together as some are doing. No, we need to keep on encouraging each other. This becomes more and more important as you see the day getting closer. And the idea is is history someday gets wrapped up and Christ comes back. So we need to be encouraging each other. And it's fantastic that we can do that in person. Also, Jesus said this. He said, yes, if two or three people are together believing in me, I am there with them. And the idea of that is, yes, God is with us all the time, even when we're by ourselves. But when we gather together and interject conversations about how God is touching our lives, we really are aware of his presence. And that happens by gathering in person. We're delighted that we can do it online, and that's fantastic. And I I know the Lord loves us using that technology, and some just can't be here totally get that. Uh, So we're happy that we have that, but it's great to uh, get together. Uh, Again, we're starting a new series for four weeks, um, Making Change, and a part of this is financial, but today you're really going to see that there are symptoms and there's a bottom line, and it all begins with our hearts. So as we talk about that, we start with the foundation of hearts. And I hope you can uh, at least tune in and see, be a part of all uh, four um, parts of this series, because I do think it's going to make a difference in our lives as individuals and our lives collectively as a church. Before we get going, let's uh, just ask the Lord to bless our time together. Father, once again, we're thankful that we can gather and hear from you. Uh, We just ask that our hearts would be soft to you no matter where we're at. Uh, If we're just uh, testing the waters of uh, what faith is all about, uh, we pray that you'd be speaking to that person. Uh, Even them being uh, observant, watching online, or being here in person is a part of your process with them. And for those of us who have known you for just a little longer, uh, we ask that our hearts would always be soft to hear from you whatever you may be saying. So we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're dealing with the idea of less is more, and uh, this may be not a big surprise to you, or it may be a big surprise to you, but as living in the United States, it's really easy for us to, in a sense, have a low-grade fever when it comes to what we're going to talk about, when it comes to this idea that uh, less is more. Uh, It's built into our culture. It's built into our lifestyles that we really don't think that way. Our society, a lot is built around the opposite of that. So when you're thinking about this, uh, we've got to really uh, kind of do a reboot, a restart, 
and think about this idea that less really is more. We don't need more to be more. Sometimes we need less. And we all express this in different ways. We all express this in different ways of our, the way we buy things, uh, the way we live, what's important to us, the way we save. All those pieces express this possibility that we have a low-grade fever when it comes to our possessions and our stuff and our money, and we really don't think that less is more. We think quite the opposite direction. Now, the, the greatest expression of this is that show called The Hoarders, and if you've ever seen that as you're passing by, I, I actually can't even handle watching that because it's like a disaster, and that just kind of like makes me feel very uncomfortable. But if you're not familiar with it, this is the trailer to that show. It's critical. It's life or death at this point. These are real people. I just can't get a grip on it. Buried by the weight of their things. He's just overwhelmed. He doesn't know what else to do. This could be anybody. We're here to help you. I love you, and I don't want to see you live like this. We're here for you. We're going to get this done. You're not living a life. You're just living life. This is your chance to get out. Hoarders, new season. Amazing. Now, that's an extreme expression of this concept of not living less is more. Uh, there were two lines in that trailer that I thought were really important. First of all, one is buried by the weight of your things. And you and I, even if we don't have a lot, even if we have it put all the way neatly, still can be buried by the weight of our things. Or we can be buried by the idea that we need more things. How many of you have ever put your head on the pillow and just said, man, if I just had this, if I had this job, if I had just a little extra money or a lot of extra money, or I had this item, then life would be good. And if you're a Christ follower, uh, that does not line up with the idea of less is more. Because we're saying that the answer to our life rests in having this thing happen. When we would say on a theological, on a piece of paper, Jesus is the answer to my life. So if Jesus is the answer to my life, why do I put my head on my pillow and say, if this would just happen, if I just had this, then life would be all set. Now, that's not to say we shouldn't improve ourselves. It's not to say we shouldn't be going in a positive direction and all of that. But it's when that is our answer. When those things and those thoughts. And for some of us, this, in a sense, this series is your chance to get out of that thinking. For them, it was very dramatic. But this is a chance. If you've said yes to Christ, you have the hope, you have the possibility of not being stuck in that kind of thinking that says less is less, and it does not say less is more. And we get caught up with that. Solomon, Solomon, who had it all, uh, one of the richest guys on the planet for his time had access to everything. One time when I talked about Solomon, I, I think I said, you know, he's the kind of guy that if he wanted something made, could have it made. Oh, I really don't like any of the cars that are to offer. I would like a special Dave Spencer Solomon car, and they would go to the factory and they would just make it. Or I want an iPhone that's bigger, smaller, different, and they could, he would actually have it made. He had unbelievable amount of power. But this is what he says when it comes to this whole idea of less is more. He says this, It is better to be satisfied with a few things or the few things you have than to always be struggling to get more. 
And some of us have been caught up with that. Some of us have been caught up with the struggle. And we're not satisfied with what we have. Uh, we're, we're caught up with that. And Solomon himself says, it's better to be satisfied with a few things than be caught up with the struggle to get more. And some of us think those things are just out of reach. And so we kind of given up and we're saying, I'm just stuck and life stinks because I couldn't get to that place. Or some of us are just going after it. And then when we get a little bit of it, we go, ah, but it just doesn't satisfy. It just keeps going on. You know, it feels like more is always better and what you don't have is what you need. And again, our whole, our whole marketing system, and I love the United States, I love the work ethic we find in the United States, but if this is kind of the vibe that you get out there. You watch TV and the commercials are all saying this kind of same thing. More is better, you don't have what you need. And that drives everything. If all of us stopped working like this, it would be like an economic crush rather than thinking less is more and trying to, in a sense, not have our things or our pursuit of things own us. We own it. So Jesus speaks into this idea. Jesus speaks into this idea about stuff and finances and, and all of this, and uh, they would, he would be meeting, he'd be talking with people, and every once in a while somebody would shout out a question. So let's just look at that from uh, Luke chapter 12, uh, starting off in verse 13. Uh, someone out of the crowd said, Teacher, order my brother to give me a fair share of the family inheritance. And this was kind of a regular thing that was going on in Jesus' day. The oldest was uh, in control of the parents' state of affairs. And when someone would pass away, that person was the exeter of the, of the will. And they, they had the ability to divvy things up. And even if uh, dad and mom had said do it one way, they could kind of shade it another way. And this is probably a younger brother saying, uh, you know, tell my brother to give me my fair share. And uh, Jesus is dragged into this whole conversation. And this is what uh, Jesus starts to say. He replies, Mr., what makes you think it's any of my business to be a judge or meteor for you? He's kind of like saying, so, so why is this my business? And he doesn't really camp on that. He just kind of throws that out and then gets on with his explanation. Speaking to the people, he went on, take care, protect yourself against the little bit least bit of greed. Life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. So he starts to enter into this conversation about our stuff, our resources, what we have. And it's interesting, that low-grade fever I talked about makes us all feel uncomfortable because none of us want to say we're greedy, but really it is this idea of greed. We want something. We're not satisfied. We want more. And that can show up in a number of ways, or just the way we hold on to things, the way we save things. And again, there's nothing wrong with saving, there's nothing wrong with preparing for the future, but this idea of when it crosses over and now it's not saving because it's wisdom, it's thinking ahead, it crosses the line into greed. And what's hard about this is it's almost an individualistic person's place with their walk with God. That's why I can see some Christ followers that love Jesus with all their heart, and they've got tons of stuff. And I think Jesus is okay with that. 
And then I can bump into somebody who doesn't have much and they're just hoping for more and more and more and they're dissatisfied and, and there's a little greed. And, and how you measure that out, it's a, it's a walk with Christ. So that's why it's so important. If you're here this morning, you've never said yes to Christ. You've never said, I want to follow you. I want to accept the forgiveness for my selfishness, my sins. And I believe he died on the cross and rose again. And I want to follow you and I want you in my life. That, that's like the ground-based level. That's the, the starting place. Because I don't know if you can do this on your own. And you may say, wow, Dave, that's pretty arrogant for you to actually say that. But, I, but I, I'm going to follow that. I think you need help. And I think you need God a part of your life if you're going to order order your life, if the rhythm of your life is going to go this way. So uh, again, this whole idea of, of greed, because it's not enough, or the way we hold on to things, our hand is closed. Also, uh, defined by what you have. And most of us in this room would say, well, you know, I don't really have that much, but compared to the rest of the world, we're like in the top couple percentages. However you want to lay it, we, there's one way you could say we're like in the 1%, 2%, definitely 5% of what we have available for resources. Even the poorest among us is rich compared to the greater world. And that's not to make you feel guilty. That's just to make you feel responsible. I am responsible by what has been trusted in my hands. I, I, I need, to, need to order it and use it well. I need to do well with this. Um, I don't know if any of you ever played the game Risk. Anyone like Risk? Somebody, yeah, I love risk. There was a time where I would just dominate, and I loved taking over the world. I, I loved being like, I am in charge of the world. And I loved when I had a bunch of armies, and it'd be like little three or four over here, and I would just come in, and I could lose like half my army, but still decimate this other person, and I would win. And you know, I just, just really loved that. Then my friends got wise to it, and sometimes I'd be playing with like six other people or five other people, and uh, they would all gang up on me before I even had my turn to wipe me out. And then they did that the first couple times, and uh, then they got to the point where they would just leave me with one piece so that I just could not, I wasn't like done with the game. Are you quitting, Dave? No, but I was done. But on the days where I was dominating the world, that pre-discovery of my friends, you know, when the game is over, I don't care how much you, you dominated the world, when the game's over, all the pieces go back into the world, and it really doesn't matter that you're in charge of the world. Because very quickly, my mom could say to me, hey, Dave, go empty the trash. Like, wait a minute, I'm like in charge of the world. No, you got to go empty the trash. So the reality is, is that we got to start thinking that what we have, all these things, it shouldn't define us because there's a day where everything goes back into the box. And it doesn't matter. What matters is how you live. So we want to live well with the pieces that God has given us. So Jesus goes on and he decides to tell this story to help this Guys, think about uh, what's right. It's interesting. It first starts off with the brother who raises the question. There's some ideas in uh, verse 15 that probably it, the other brother might have shown up to find out what Jesus was going to say and kind of defend himself, but he speaks to both of them. And you'd think that Jesus would be speaking primarily to the older brother, but it seems like he's really speaking to this one brother, and the other brother is uh, in the area, in the room, outside listening. So we begin in verse 16. Then he told this story, the farm of a certain man produced a terrific crop. He talked to himself, what can I do? My barn isn't big enough for this harvest. Then he said, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll gather in all my grain and goods. 
And I'll say to myself, self, you've done well. You've got it made and now can retire. Take it easy and have the time of your life. Awesome. That's what we all want, don't we? That's the American way. Again, nothing wrong with working hard and all that. But then the next line takes all the air out of the balloon. All the air out of the room. All the air out of the story. Some of us are familiar with this story, so we know what's coming next. So we're reading that and go, yeah, 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 that's really good. But if you didn't know the next line, you're like, yeah, that's what I want. I want that. Then, just then, God showed up and said, fool, tonight you die. And your barn full of goods, who gets it? That's what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. Sometime, life will be over and all the pieces go back in the box. And how you and I use the pieces in the interim counts. It matters. Again, not to make you feel bad, it's to go, how can I use what has been given to point to God? How can I not be just containing myself, filling my so-called barn up with self things, whatever they may be? How can I be rich towards God and not myself? Another translation says this verse this way, people do not get life from the many things they own. And that is not the way most of us live. We get too much value from the things we own. The things we own, own us. Uh, We size people up by the way they dress, what they drive, what they have, how nice their yard is, not your flower. Again, there's nothing wrong with having those things. But we don't get life from those things. And for some of us, even those of us who have said yes to Christ, we're going to be shocked that uh, we did not get life from things. And that's why some of us uh, feel a little empty from time to time. Because we're trying to base our life in the next thing. The next position at work. The next purchase. The next whatever. And rather than enjoying those things, we're trying to get life from those things. And the only thing, the only, actually the only person that can give us life is Jesus, is a relationship with God through Christ. So we're trying to fill a hole in our life with the wrong piece. It's just not going to fit. It's just not going to work. And again, that's not to make you feel guilty or bad. It's just to say, hey, that's why it's not working. You weren't designed to take all these wonderful things, even if you're a Christian, and try to make that to be really what what makes you feel good. It just doesn't work. So again, our society, in a sense, is against us. I, I, I like living in the United States. I've been to a couple third world really, you should call them not third world countries, you should call them majority world countries, the way the rest of the world lives. And, and I, I, I'm like, I'm thankful, you know, it's nice having nicer things, but my life cannot come from those things. And when it does, it's just out of sync. And someday all the pieces, it might be all, until then, that rich, that rich ruler, he lived his whole life until the end as he realized, I missed it. 
Uh, you probably heard the story about the executive who's trying to climb the ladder of, of life, and he's climbing and climbing and climbing, and finally gets to the top, and he looks over his life, and he realizes he had the ladder leaned against the wrong wall. He got to the wrong destination. Too late. The climb was great. Everything came together. Gets to the top. Whoops. Wrong wall. Wrong place. Pieces go into the puzzle or back into the box. It's over. You can't go redo that. You're, you're stuck. Thankfully, we have God that's gracious, um, kind, but, but you can't undo that. So what are some of the symptoms? Tim Keller gives us seven things. I'll kind of rework these a little. We're going to move through these relatively quickly. The symptoms of less is less. The symptoms of I have bought into this idea that if I have less, life is less. What are these symptoms? How, how, can we, how can we know this? Even back in the Older Testament, Jeremiah speaks to this when he speaks to the whole idea of what, we're, what we get our self-importance from, what, what we get our value from. Uh, in Jeremiah we read, this is what the Lord says, the wise must not brag about their wisdom. The strong man must not brag about their strength. The rich must not brag about their money. But if someone wants to brag... Let them brag about this. Let them brag that they've learned to know me. Let them brag that they understand that I am the Lord. I love this kind of bragging. This message is from the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean we go around wearing our faith on our sleeve like we're better than everybody else. I'm self-righteous and, hey, you know, you need to, you know, i am got it together. You don't. That's, that's not what we're talking about. We don't really see Jesus doing that. On the most basic level, we could say Jesus was nice. Right? Jesus is nice. Take that home and think about that. I'm just going to be nice because Jesus was nice. So the idea is not bragging about knowing Jesus to put other people's down and that kind of thing, but it's just the idea of where do I get my value from? What's really important? Uh, why am I, why do I feel good about myself? It's because God loves me and I have a relationship with him. That's my identity. That's my value. So some of these symptoms. First of all, confidence and self-worth. Confidence and self-worth. If my confidence and self-worth comes from the idea that less is less and more is more, then I'm probably got this illness. I probably have a low grade up to a low grade up to a crazy fever when it comes to this way. Rich man. And I said to myself, self, you've done well. You've got it made and now you can retire. Take it easy and have the time of your life. I mean, everything tries to move to that place. That's not, that's not the way God wants us to be. It's, a, it's, it's, just, it's just misalignment. My value, my security, my everything, my self-worth is coming from my stuff. Proverbs 18.11 says, The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. Not uh, too far from us, but the Great Depression. Great Depression. Wealthy people, a number of them, uh, took their own lives because their wealth was gone, life was over. 
And even in their deflated value, they still had stuff. It was they, they went from being super rich to, to being, uh, you know, something less than super rich. Their value came from what they had. Sometimes I have to ask myself, how much of my value as a person is in what I have? Or what I've created in my life? The things I've done? Is, is that what brings my value to life? And if it's starting to tip into those areas, I'm in the danger zone. And what's so hard about this is there's a tipping point. There's a moment where, yeah, it's good to be thankful. It's good to even have pride in a job well done. But we can't let our value, we can't compare ourselves to other people's. I'm more valuable because they didn't pull that off. They didn't, weren't, didn't get to that place. They don't have this. They, they didn't make that great decision I made. Um, we can't let our, our security ride in those kinds of things. Our worry. Where's our, where's our worry? What's our worry based on? He continued this subject with his disciples later on. Don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or if the clothes in your closet are in fashion. He's not saying don't be concerned about food. He's not being concerned about having a nice outfit or whatever. He's saying, don't be fixated on that. Don't let your, all your meaning come from those things. If you worry about that, you've tipped over where less is less rather than less being more. Nothing can promise what only God can deliver. Back to worry, back to security, back to self-worth. We get, our, we get all that. The tank of our lives is filled up in him alone. So if you and I are trying to take some piece of life, whether it's finances, whether it's our stuff, whether it's our positions, whether it's whatever, and trying to get our value and everything from that, we're trying to do something where God can only deliver that. And uh, in some terms, we could call that an idol. It becomes an idol. That's what's worth to us. We sing about worship, and worship really is just what is worth to us. If something's worth it, we worship it. We, we give it our attention. So when we gather on Sunday for a worship service, we're giving God our attention. When we leave this place and are just nice, when we didn't have to be nice, when there was a situation where we could be mean or push back and we are nice, we are worshiping. Sometimes you're worshiping more the way you drive your car than what you sang Sunday morning. Worship, putting him value. And we sang about the word holy. Holy has the idea of being separate. God is separate to himself. God wants us to be holy in the sense that we're separate to him. We're separate to his ways. That doesn't mean we stop being human Sometimes you can have a great human experience, whatever you want to say that, a great meal with your family, and that was a holy moment. Don't take that away. Being human, being separate to God, worship and holy, nothing can promise what only God can deliver. Comfort and safety, we've been, you know, these all overlap each other. He talked to himself, what can I do? My barn isn't big enough for this harvest. Sometimes you and I have to say, how much is enough? I had a friend back in Maine, and he was a big executive in one of this grocery supermarket things, and, 
and doing very well, vice president, all that kind of stuff. And uh, one day he pulled me aside, and it's funny, now I'm older than him. He's probably in his early 50s. I thought, wow, he's old. <laughs> and uh, he said to me, he said to me, Dave, I only need a million dollars to retire. And to me, I was like, only a million? Wow. But what he was saying is he really, he, there were other people in his industry that were waiting to earn more money. And uh, he was not going to take all his security from that. He, he, he had a, a place. He said that was enough for him. He didn't need to earn more money. He didn't need to serve, save more money. And some of us save and earn more money than we, we need to. We need to pass it on. I'm not telling you where that line is. That you can work out with Jesus. I'm happy I don't have that job. But there, there's a line. Uh, one time there was a friend of mine, and uh, he used to really get down on the young people and the way they spent their money and didn't save their money. And I'd hear it over and over again. I go, yeah, 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 yeah I, get, I, get, I get what you're saying. Uh, you know, they're not good givers to the church. They're not this. They're not that. They just spend, spend, spend. And I go, and he goes, yeah, and I'm saving my money. And finally one day I said to him, I got the nerve up to say to him, I said, so what happens to your money when you're done? What do you mean? When you're dead. Well, my kids will get it. Girl, Okay. How are they going to spend it? Well, they'll go, I said, they're going to spend it exactly the way you're angry about the, all the other people spending it right now. So you're really not doing anything more noble than these people you're down. If you're just saving your money to pass it on to somebody else who's going to use it irresponsibly, you haven't gained anything. He didn't like me saying that. But that was true, right? I mean... You know, he just, he was on all these people. I was so tired of it. And he was going to, his money was going to be used for the same exact thing. And actually, his kids would probably, not because they were just because they didn't have to earn it and save it, they would probably waste it even in greater ways than, than, than what he was complaining about. Our comfort, our security, where is that line? How much is enough? Do you own it or does it own you? Kind of thread all through this. Does, your, does that security own you? And as long as you have that, you feel good. But if it was half the amount of money saved, you'd feel bad. Or if it was double, you'd feel much better. Where, where is that line? And how does that all work for you? And are you asking those, those personal questions? Again, I can't answer that for you. That's why I can see someone who's got lots of resources and they're enjoying them and they're generous with them. And I can see someone who has hardly any resources and uh, they're stuck. And, and I look at both lives and, and they're not, it's not like this one who has all these resources is bad. And this one, it's just, it's just the way it's unfolding in their life. And one of my friends sometimes, and he, does, he says this tongue-in-cheek a little bit, but if he didn't buy some of these things, then those people wouldn't have jobs. And that's, that's true. That's true. If everybody stops spending money, the economy just goes, So there is, again, all these things are intention. Stinginess. I love this idea that he said, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, then I'll gather in all my grain and my goods. The idea is that, why didn't he, why didn't he say, my barns are full, so now I need to leverage this for somebody else. Maybe there's somebody who needs some food, and, and I don't need it. Why build bigger barns? Maybe he did need to build bigger barns. But if he had lived, would he have kept building bigger barns? No one knows. It's a story. It's got a moral. It's a parable. But I feel some of us 
build bigger and bigger. I, I, I marveled, and, I, and we're starting to watch this. You know, I, I hate to say this, when the kids move out, you have a little more money, right? Because they, they suck you dry, right? And so you have less kids, and, and now you have a little extra more money, and, and now some things you couldn't afford before, now you can't afford, but should I, should I do that? Should I buy, you know, buy a bigger house? And now it's just Cindy and I, or smaller. I, you know, all those kinds of things. Uh, if you have a lot of resources... Uh, what do you do with those resources? When is enough enough? And how does your security work with that? Proverbs, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. What goes around comes around. And uh, sometimes uh, we've talked about this verse in years past. Uh, you think of Scrooge from the Christmas story, and he had deep pockets, but his world got smaller and smaller and smaller, not larger and larger and larger. It wasn't until he started being generous that his world opened up and got larger. Excessiveness. Where is that line? Where is that line? Bigger ones. Build, where, where is that line? And there is a line. I can't answer that line for you, but at least in your heart, in your mind, you need to answer it. I have a friend who uh, travels in affluent circles, owns a company, and, and uh, I, I admire him for doing this. He, believe it or not, there's, uh, there's retreats for, for Christ followers that have lots of money and how to use this money. And he went to this retreat, and everybody were like, extremely wealthy. And he sat at the table with someone who had billions. Sat at the table with someone whose yearly income after everything was done was $330 million a year. That was what was left over. And what did this guy do? And this is not for everybody. He and his wife early on decided to live only on $150,000. So they bought their house on $150,000. They bought their cars on $150,000. And you go, wow, I wish I had $150,000. He's not spending $330 million. I think I'd be okay with him spending $500,000. And then he takes the rest of his money and gives it away. He, he, I mean, it's a business for him. There's a foundation and all that. Now, again, I sometimes go, why does a guy get all that? Because he can be trusted in it, with it. I don't know if he could trust me with $330 million a year. That guy can be trusted. But this idea of excessiveness, you need to know where those lines are in your life. And if God blesses you, where that line is. What is too much? What is, what is okay? And it's different. Uh, this idea of never being satisfied. Some of us are just not satisfied. The next level, the next thing, it's just, it just doesn't satisfy us. Again, because we're, we're trying to fill that hole with something that shouldn't be filled with anything but God. So, so we just are just never satisfied. I'll gather in my grain and goods. I'll gather my stuff. I'll keep my stuff. I'll keep doing excess of being never satisfied. What would satisfy you? Where, where is that? I hope it's today you're satisfied. Um, again, that doesn't mean you don't have dreams. You don't have ambitions. You don't move in a direction. But how are you satisfied? And this kind of falls into that, this idea of stockpiling, just gathering up stuff 
more and more and more. Later on in the passage, Jesus says, be generous, give to the poor, get yourself a bank that can't go bankrupt, a bank in heaven far from bank robbers, from, safe from embezzlers, a bank you can bank on. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where the treasure is is the place you will most want to be and end up being. It's your focus. Go back to that friend, that guy who's the 300, and uh, he's not my friend, my, that, that guy who has the 330 million a year. What's going to be like when he arrives in heaven? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. But I think it's not going to be that much different than the person that earned hardly anything but found their satisfaction in God and lived in that way and even didn't and did it didn't stockpile in their own life. You know, American Christians give less now than they gave ratio-wise during the Great Depression. So when the Great Depression was going on, Christ followers percentage-wise gave more than today. Where in some ways, or in a lot of ways, we're much more prosperous. Just a little interesting uh, figure there. So what's the cure? Real quickly, the cure, less is more, this idea, uh, wake up to the brevity of life. Um, Two in the morning, the rich farmer, his heart stopped, and all the pieces went back into the box. Had no idea about that. Do you and I live like today all the pieces could go back in the box. And what would happen? How would we feel about that? Teach us how short our lives are so that we can live wise. I usually share these two verses, this one and the next one, when I do a celebration of life. A good person leaves an inheritance for their family, and when I speak of that, it's the sweet memories of that person. It's the impact of that person. We usually think in the finances, but there are people that have had such a huge impact and leave absolutely nothing when it comes to financial resources, but their impact, the good inheritance they left is the memory, the legacy, uh, the lifestyle, And that has more power than any person leaving a huge financial inheritance. I want to be a person that leaves an inheritance for my kids, my next, the grandkids, and so on, and so on, and so on. A couple weeks ago, I came across these thoughts looking at something else in my daily devotions. I sent to all the girls, and now we have a husband, so it's great. There's three girls and one extra boy, so it's great. We're starting to... You know, balance things out. It's just not me as the only guy. And, and I just sent them that. I said, I am praying this morning that there will be generations of our family that still love and follow Jesus. And I'm thankful for, at this point in your life, you still seem to be doing that. Very thankful for that. And uh, anyway, rich towards God. What's it mean to be rich towards God, to be focused towards God, not uh, rich to self or not your barn filled with self, but to be filling it with God? Uh, Often when I do a wedding ceremony and talk about the four C's, one of the C's is being Christ-centered, and uh, I say a statement like this, this isn't in your notes, I say being Christ-centered means you're growing in your relationship with God. 
Christ-centeredness includes knowing God through reading the Bible daily. It includes ta- talking with God through prayer. It includes being an active part of a local church family. And it also includes pointing to Christ with your life. That's Christ-centeredness. You could unpack that more and more and more and unlayer it, but that is being Christ-centered. And if we're going to be rich towards God, we need to be Christ-centered. Also, we need to rethink what contentment means for us. What does it look like to be content? Pascal says, we never live when we're only hoping to live someday. Always preparing to be happy ensures we never are. For always waiting for the next thing. You're waiting for that husband or that wife. Maybe you're waiting for that girlfriend or boyfriend. Then you're waiting for that first child. Then you're waiting for that first job. Then you're waiting for that house. And, you're, and on and on and on, that vacation. And you're just waiting for the next thing. And you never experience contentment and happiness in that moment. I think I said earlier that sometimes the holiest moments are you gather together with family. There's way enough food. There's laughter around your table. And this is awesome. This is worth it everything. And if we're not careful, we miss it. Sometimes I just sit and listen to what's going on. I told you before, I can't stand playing games now. I used to like risk when I could dominate. Now the kids are smarter than me. But, um, but uh, I don't really like games. But sometimes just to kind of be sitting out, hanging out, and there's some family going on, and this is the time they haven't convinced me to play cards with them. And I just hear the laughter, and I just sit in that moment and go, this is awesome. It doesn't get any sweeter or better than this. And I can guarantee you, Everyone in this room has those moments of contentment when it just couldn't be any better than this. Do you even see them? Do you identify them? Um, Inner life. This is far more important to your inner life than your food you put in your stomach, more to your outer appearance than, uh, than clothes you hang on your body. Look at the ravens, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, carefree in the care of God, and you count far more than that. I love that. Carefree in the care of God. Just, mm, just focus on that thought. Settle in that thought. Digest it. Chew it around in your brain. Carefree in the care of God. Devotion to God is, in fact, a way for people to be very rich, but it only makes them satisfied with what they have. Having it all, this idea of what is that all about, having it all, and uh, we can have it all when we're steeped in, steep yourself in God reality, God initiative, God provision. You find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Don't be afraid of missing out. You're my dearest friends. The Father wants to give you the very kingdom itself all that heaven has to offer all that earth the new heavens and new has to offer uh, but you know a lot of us live in that first part of verse 32 we're afraid of missing out you're not missing out you have it 
So as we tie all this together, what would be a good bottom line, something we can hang our thoughts in the week? I encourage you to use the think it over section. If you're not in a community group that uses that, try to digest the things we're, we're talking about, and it's this. Full is often empty, and empty is often full. Full is often empty, and empty is often full. Pray with me. Father, there's a lot of things rushing through our minds, rushing through our hearts in a moment like this. We ask that you'd help us to reorder our lives around the idea that less is more as we follow you, as we walk with you. If there's someone who has not said yes to you, may this be the time and the moment. May they say, yes, I want you a part of my life. I want that foundation of my life so I can start building on that so I can work it into my life that less really is more. And for those of us who have been following you for a little while, for a long while, not in a morbid way, but in a celebratory way, help us to think about that day when all the pieces go back in the box, this game called life. And I ask that each one of us would start today, if we haven't, start today living in such a way that we understand that and that when we finally see you face to face, we'll get a well done, thy good and faithful servant because we have used our life wisely. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.